we're uh, going through Luke these days, uh, the birth narrative. And so we're in chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 8 today. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of the Lord. We all have our favorite Christmas movies, don't we? I mean, Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, Home Alone, Four Christmases, anybody? I mean, my favorite, or Elf, I'm with you there. Uh, mine, my favorite might just be Charlie Brown's Christmas. I mean, the older I get, the more brilliant I see Charlie Brown's character. I mean, he, he's so normal, but he's just always asking the questions that we're too afraid to ask, at least out loud. And in the Christmas movie, he wants to know what Christmas is all about, so he's asking the question. The first place he goes for an answer is Lucy. You know the scene, Lucy's sitting at the psychiatrist's table, Looking for a nickel? She tries to help him. Then Charlie Brown tries to help himself by buying a Christmas tree. That doesn't do any good either. And then in a, a bout of frustration, he exclaims to Linus, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? You can see it, can't you? Linus has his blanket in one hand, one arm, and he's got his thumb in his mouth. And they're rehearsing this play, the Christmas play, and he walks up to the microphone and he reads the passage I just read in the King James Version. And the highlight of that passage, the high point of the passage is verse 10, when it talks about the good news, what Christmas is really all about. <clears throat> so I want to focus this morning in our, on our text by asking it three questions. How do we hear the good news? What is the good news? And how do we react to the good news? How do we hear the good news? What is the good news? And how do we react to the good news? Or you could say the medium, the content, and the response. So let's start with the medium. How do we hear the good news? In our text, I don't know if you picked up on it, but there were two moments of proclamation. The first is the angel to the shepherd, and the second 
are the shepherds to everyone else. And it kind of makes sense why the shepherds get an angel and everybody else gets a shepherd. I mean, why else would random shepherds show up at the birth of a young child? Unless an angel comes. The shepherds aren't family, they're not neighbors, they're not medical practitioners, they're not religious leaders. So what we see here is that the birth of Jesus is more than just a family affair. In fact, the birth of Jesus includes people who are considered outsiders. And shepherds were for sure outsiders. They were looked down upon. They were looked down upon for a lot of reasons. The first reason they were looked down upon is that they were considered ceremonially unclean by the Jews. They couldn't offer sacrifices at the temple because they had contact with animals that were deemed unclean. They were also considered uh, to, 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 to be immoral because as they passed from one pasture to another that they frequently and often purposefully had to trespass on land that they did not own in order to get the nutrients for the flock that their flock needed. They were also considered flaky because they were nomadic in nature. You never knew where they were going to be. And then the testimony that they had in the courts, it was considered to be invalid because they're low social standing. The only people who had a lower social standing than shepherds were lepers. So here they are, the shepherds, and they're unclean, immoral, unreliable, and disreputable people. So unless the most mysterious, exalted beings who represent the testimony of heaven appear to the shepherds, they would have never gone to see Jesus. And even if they did go to see Jesus they would not have observed anything special about him. They would have just seen this young, poor couple with a newborn sleeping in a feeding trough. So to, to connect the normal scene of Jesus' birth with something supernatural, they were going to need a supernatural encounter, and that's exactly what they got. But the second encounter happens with the shepherds and those that they evangelized. Did you see it? The shepherds, they leave Bethlehem, the place of Jesus' birth. They return to their home, which we don't know exactly where that's at. And they become the first evangelist in the book of Luke. So they have this encounter with an angel. They go see Jesus, and then they go to tell everybody about Jesus. But stop and think for a minute. Who would you rather be in these two groups? Would you rather be a shepherd who got an angel... Or would you rather get this news from common folks like shepherds? I know who I would choose. I would choose an angel all day long. Same thing goes for us, doesn't it? We would, you'd choose an angel too. But just like the shepherds, the authors of the Bible, they got these extraordinarily, extraordinary revelations. And then all we get is a book. You're probably like Charlie Brown and you're dying for some good news and you're wondering where you can get it. You want it to be unmistakable. And you're pretty sure that an angelic appearance, especially at church, would do the trick to convince you of good news. But the good news comes to us like it did for the hearers of the shepherds. It comes through very ordinary means. It comes through a book. See, God communicates his good news to us through the scriptures. And it's very easy not to take the scriptures very serious. 
It's easy to say, I've heard this before. It's easy to say, I don't understand this. And it makes sense. But this is where God reveals himself in the most of ordinary ways, and he will surprise you. There will come times when God's word, when God's spirit will illumine God's word, and you'll know that God's word is more than just a book. You'll see that God's word is the place where heaven touches earth. So if you go to this book, if you go to the scriptures, what are you going to find? What is the good news? What is the content that you'll find here? What is the content that the angels gave to the shepherds that day? Well, you see it in verses 10 to 12. The angels show up and they tell the shepherds that they have great news about the birth of a baby boy. But if you see their announcement, you'll see that the birth of this baby boy, that he goes unnamed. You don't see Jesus. You don't see anything about Mary and Joseph being the names of the mother and father. But you do see the titles for Jesus. You do see Savior, Lord, and Christ. And all three of these titles point to Jesus' divine origin. Let's start with Christ. I mean, Christ just simply means anointed one. It speaks of Jesus being the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. But today I don't want to lay a lot of emphasis on Christ. What I really want to lay emphasis on are those two other terms, Savior and Lord. Savior and Lord you probably only hear in religious contexts, church contexts. But I think they highlight the human experience that's common to all of us. It's not just, these aren't just religious words. The words that get at the very foundation of our lives. Let me give you an example. It's an example that Came, that I came across this week in an article uh, in the New Yorker. And the article in the New Yorker is a book review, a book review of a personal memoir by Emily Ratajkowski. The title of the book review is Emily Ratajkowski and the Burden of Being Perfect Looking. And here's what the book review opens with. I didn't know, but Emily Ratajkowski is a model. Here's what the book review opens with. Some injustices are so self-evident that they lose their capacity to enrage. The undue burden placed on women to maintain their appearance and to be constantly appraised on the basis of physical attractiveness, both covertly and overtly, is just one such injustice. Even in the era of supposed body positivity and self-acceptance, the amount of resources devoted per women per woman, to grooming, primping, nipping, and tucking towards some aspirational physical ideal is extraordinary and yet so easily shrugged off as a part of everyday life. But what about the rare women who are those physical ideas, the women born with supernatural beauty to which others aspire? Well, one such woman is Emily Radzikowski. And the review talks about her memoir where she writes about her life being this tortured existence where being beautiful doesn't fix her problems. But being beautiful becomes this breeding ground for her own insecurity. Here's what Radzikowski writes. She says, I so desperately craved men's validation that I accepted it even when it came wrapped in disrespect. In her memoir, she confesses her desire to be taken seriously for something more than her looks. She confesses that she's addicted to the sensation of being loved on Instagram. 
But here was a real kicker of the article to me. The writer says, as much as Radzikowski alludes to being in control, she seems incapable of making a decision that doesn't actively reinforce the things that make her feel bad. Let me read that again. As much as she alludes to being in control, Radzikowski seems incapable of making a decision that doesn't actively reinforce the things that make her feel bad. I, I know this is an extreme example here. She's a supermodel. But I think it shines a light on a universal problem for us. And the universal problem is that we are in bondage. And you'll see that no matter how far the ladder up you go, you'll discover that the ladder never ends and the, rung, and the rungs on the ladder just get farther apart. So whether it's, a, it's billionaires, whether it's academic superheroes, whether it's political savants, athletic marvels, beautiful supermodels, or just perfect parents, you'll find that they're all unhappy. And we want to cure our unhappiness with some if-then solution. Could go, if I obey God, then I'll get God's attention. If I lose 20 pounds, then I'll be worthy to be loved. If I live a perfectly green, eco-friendly life, then I'll be worthy to take up space on the earth. If I keep my kids on a schedule as a baby, then get them in the right schools and then get them around the right people and then discipline them appropriately, then they'll turn out okay and they will validate my standing in the world. If I make enough money, then I will be secure. And friends, if-then statements aren't good news. If-then statements only lead to pride or despair, and neither pride nor despair will be found in heaven. But here is the good news. The good news is that we have a Savior who gets us off the treadmill of Instagram likes, who frees us from the need of getting into the right college or the right grad school that will make us appear to be special when we hand in our resume. What is good news is that we have a Savior who will free us of needing our kids to validate our existence. We have a Savior who doesn't do if-then. He only does because. Because he is our creator and because we rebelled against him and because God will not play by our rules and because in the fullness of time God sent his only son and because he died on a cross and because he rose from the grave, therefore we're saved by grace as a gift and not our ability to do if then. And it would be really, really easy to slip back into your if-then ways at Christmas. But Christmas is about a Savior who only does because. But the other title in here is Lord. And when you hear this, all this talk of Savior, sometimes we can misconstrue what is meant by Lord. You hear this good news of having a Savior and you say, wow. I'm loved unconditionally. I can do whatever I want. Because no matter what I think, what I say, 
what I feel or what I do, I'm still going to be saved because I've got such a great Savior. And that thinking isn't totally off because it is true that no matter what you do, say, feel, or think, you still have a Savior because you can't undaughter yourself. You cannot unsun yourself from being loved by your Heavenly Father. See, I ask my kids frequently, I ask them, especially before they go to bed, I said, does Daddy love you because you're cute? The answer is no. Does Daddy love you because you're funny? No, but you are funny. Does Daddy love you because you're smart? Still not sure. But the answer is no. And then here's the one that trips them up. I said, does Daddy love you because you're good? The answer is no. Then I say, well, if I don't love you for any of those reasons, why do I? And I've trained them. And they said, Daddy loves us because we are his. Now, I didn't come up with that. I stole that. I don't know where I stole it from, but. But here's the point. No matter how smart, how funny, how cute, or how good that they are or aren't, they're still mine, therefore I'm always going to love them. And if this is how a fallen, earthly, sinful parent treats their children, how much more a perfectly loving Heavenly Father. So when someone loves you like that, guess what you want to do? You want to please them. You want them to lord over you because you know you don't have to earn their blessing. You know that what they ask of you is good for you. You obey not out of obligation, but you obey out of delight. And that's what it means for Jesus to be your Lord. See, all the other lords of your lives, whether it's beauty or money or parenting or being green, or health. They're all cruel taskmasters. And all of you, all of them, are just telling you to get to work, to earn, to strive. And what Jesus is telling you to do is to receive and rest. Now, when Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, that's good news, and that's the good content. So if we know how we hear the good news through a book, we know what the content of the good news is, how should we respond? Well, we get two responses there in verses 16 to 20. And the first one's from the shepherds. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, you see that the shepherds go with haste. In verse 17, you see that the shepherds become the proto-Billy Graham evangelists. And in verse 20, you see that they sing. What you have with the shepherds, you've got an excited group of new Christians right here. I mean, they're ready to set the world on fire. But can you blame them? They've seen angels who told them, measly old shepherds, that unto you a child is born. They're astonished that God would gift wrap his one and only son for them. But is that the way we respond? See, the opposite of being astonished 
is presuming. It's presuming that God would give us a son. And the longer you've been in church, the more likely you are to presume that God would give you his son. The longer you've been in church, the more likely it is that Jesus has become domesticated, that he's been tamed, that he's become just a slightly better version of ourselves. But when he becomes your Savior and Lord in increasing ways in your experience, you'll tell everybody you know about him. You'll start singing about him just like everybody else does in Luke 1. Elizabeth, Mary, Zechariah, now the shepherds are all singing. And they're singing because the good news has hit home for them. But there's one other healthy response to Jesus coming into your life. You see it with Mary. You see it in verse 19. You see the two verbs. She treasured and pondered. Now this is very different than going with haste. It's very different than evangelizing. It's very different than singing. But Mary is someone who wants to keep these things in mind. She's one, someone who wants to understand the nature of her newborn son and the implications he has for her and the world. She wants to make connections. She wants to make personal applications. She wants to keep these things alive in her heart. And it takes Mary a long time to do this. I mean, we see in Jesus' earthly ministry, 30 plus years later, Mary's still pondering and treasuring. She's not where she wants to be. She's not achieved certainty, the whole point of Luke's gospel. You see her hesitancy in Mark 3 and Luke 8 and John 2. But she keeps mulling these things over. She keeps pondering. She keeps treasuring. And then in Acts 1, verse 14, she's mentioned explicitly. We see that her pondering and, tre and treasuring pays off. And she becomes certain when Jesus ascends into heaven. So you see both these responses, the singing and the evangelizing on one side and the pondering and treasuring on the other. You see that these are active parts to be played out in your life. The shepherds are evangelists. Mary's a theologian. Evangelism isn't just for extroverts. Theology isn't just for smart people. Evangelism and theology have very little to do with the natural proclivities of our personalities, and they have very much to do with our grasp of the person of Jesus. And it's my prayer that this Christmas season we'll engage in both, because we see with new eyes the good news of Jesus being our Savior and our Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that this Christmas season we would see you being our Savior in fresh ways and you being our Lord in fresh ways. And, Lord, that we would sing. Lord, that we would tell others of the good news. And, Lord, that we would continue to treasure and ponder you. In Christ's name, amen.